Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. My dear listeners, welcome back to another episode of The Relatable Voice. Today, the RV is headed towards New York to speak with David Ruggiero. David is an award-winning writer, celebrity chef, and restaurant owner in New York City. He's also the author of the new cookbook, a tomato grows in Brooklyn. So, David, it's an honor to have you here with us today. Thank you. I'm so, so I feel so, I'm so happy you invited me. This is really terrific. I appreciate it. Thank you. Me too. I have family in Italy and I adore Italian food. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the book is uh, Tomato Grows in Brooklyn. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. And for your listeners out there uh, that have been to Brooklyn, it's kind of got its own. The Italians in Brooklyn have their own. I always say it's the 23rd region of Italy. It's got its own dialect. It's got its own cooking because what happened was is that many Southern Italians uh, immigrated, that immigrated to the United States landed in, in Brooklyn. So what happened was you had the Neapolitans, next door to the Calabrians, next door to the Sicilians. Their dialects melted together, and so did the cooking. So after so many years, we really in Brooklyn, us Italians, Italian-Americans, have our own style of cooking. And that's why I thought it warranted a cookbook about the, the traditions, the customs, and the food of, of uh, the Brooklyn Italians. Okay. You say in your book that it's not an Italian cookbook, but an, an Italian-American cook. Exactly. Because not only did we take the customs and traditions in cooking from the different regions and they melted together, but we invented our own, you know. And uh, so it's, you know, the, the people for many years, Italians that came over from Italy here, and they saw the cooking in Brooklyn. They said, oh, no, that's not Italian. No, it's not Italian. It's Italian-American. And uh, that, so that, that's uh, really, uh, you know, it's, the cookbook really centers around that. A lot of the, when Italian people come from Italy uh, or they see food cooked in the United States, they say, oh, Italian food. They say, oh, that's not Italian. It's not. It's Italian-American. And what happened is over the years, the different, I'll give you an ex example. In Naples, my mother comes from Naples and they have a dish called ragu. 
and they do that on Sunday. And it has all different meats in a tomato sauce, and they serve macaroni, right, the pasta, and then after they serve the meat. Well, somewhere along the lines in Brooklyn or the United States, maybe they didn't have enough money to, for the pork and for all the different cuts, so they just did meatballs. So in this country, United States, meatballs and macaroni is prevalent. I mean, you see it on a lot of different menus. And when it's made right, it's, it's, it's delicious. So yes, they say, that's not, you don't find that in Italy. No, they don't find it in Italy like that. But that's a prime example how the food is, is kind of, you know, it, it evolved here into our own cooking. Mm-hmm. And your grandparents came from South Italy. Is that correct? My, my mother's mother came from Naples. And my father's born in Sicily. My okay. father came here when he was 14. And, uh, I mean, those are two parts of Italy that can't be more different and can't be so similar at the same time, Naples and Sicily. Yeah. I always say that's like fire and water. Uh, in Naples, they're very expressive. And the food is very vibrant and garlic and tomatoes and olive oil. And Sicily, it's everything is under the surface. It's low key, they're quiet, but it's brooding in Sicily. Everything, something's always brooding there. And the cooking is very similar. It's understated, it's, you know, it's a lot of fish. And so they are so similar and so different at the same time. So when there was an argument in my house, you had to run for the rev, run for the hills because when a Neapolitan fights with a Sicilian, oh my God, forget about it. <laughs> it's one for the ages. <laughs> I can imagine. I have family in Italy, but they are from Milan. But you know, Italians, they are very expressive. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. We do, we, if you tied my hands behind my back, I couldn't talk. I wouldn't be able to talk. Mm -hmm. And David, you were born and raised in Brooklyn, as you were telling us. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? You know, the, uh, my beginning wasn't uh, the nicest. Uh, Brooklyn in the 1960s and 70s was a really tough place to grow up. In fact, when Europeans landed at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York, In the 70s, the city actually gave them a pamphlet that said, welcome to Fear City. And in the pamphlet, it said, if you don't really need to be here, turn around and leave. That's how dangerous New York and the, predominantly Brooklyn was in the 60s and 70s. And my father got deported uh, before I was born. I didn't meet my father till I was uh, 14. And my mother passed away when I was five. So by that time, at five years old, I was basically orphaned. And I was a street kid. I was a tough kid in the street. By the time I was 10, I had been arrested six times. And, uh, I, you know, but that's the way, you know, you had to, to survive. I was a survivor. And thank God my grandmother took me in. God rest her soul. She was the epitome of an Italian grandmother. No matter what time of the day she was at the stove, she was always cooking something, you know, it was, and the food was just to die for. 
And, you know, in those days, so what happened was when I was about 17 years old, I realized that I was at a fork in the road. Either I stayed in the street, I would have ended up in jail or dead, or I have to go another way. And I saw my path in cooking. And I realized in those days, the Italian restaurants in New York, their cooking wasn't as good as my grandmother's. They were basically red sauce, glorified pizzerias. And that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I aspired for more. So in those days, the best restaurants in New York were the French restaurants. So there was a magazine in the U.S. called Gourmet Magazine. And I went and I got past issues of Gourmet. And there was a reporter in there that his name was Jay Jacobs, who used to write about these restaurants. And I read and I read and I read. And I realized the two best restaurants in New York were Lutes and Le Caravelle. Okay, I'm going to the best. You know, and I know didn't dawn on my thick head. I had no experience. I don't care. And growing up in Brooklyn, that's the way it was. You, you're just true portion to the wind. So I went to Lutes, but no one ever left Lutes. So they were never going to hire me. I went to Le Caravelle. And Le Caravelle at that time, most, most uh, you know, there was a, the Playboy magazine in the U.S. They used to rate the top 50 restaurants in the U.S. And it was always number one, Lutes, second, Le Caravelle. The next year, Le Caravelle, Lutes number two. So I showed up at the kitchen, all French, 40 guys in the kitchen, all pristine white with the talk, only speaking French, all Frenchmen. I went, I asked for a job. Before I could open my mouth, the guy said, no. You know, I went the second time. I went the third time. Now, for most people, the number 13 is, is a uh, unlucky number. Not for me. The 13th time I showed up at the guy's door, the chef had had a heart attack the day before. He survived, but his sous chef took over and he needed somebody. And he had seen me there 12 times before. He said, okay, you start tomorrow. Oh my God. Now I, I realize I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. And they don't speak English. Oh my God. I ran to, there was a shopping center in Brooklyn, Kings Plaza shopping center. I bought every French cookbook. Over the night, I tried to memorize what I could. There was a... Uh, a language school in the Rockefeller Center, New York, called Berlitz, where they had like this, try to quick learn, right? I go to Berlitz, I try to learn French. They'd talk about baptism by fire. They screamed and yelled, and this, but I realized that it was jail, death, or this. And I loved this. The more they screamed at me, the more I loved it. And what happened was... I survived nine months. And for nine months, all I heard was, you're not French, and you didn't work in France, so you're no good. And they, I knew every, I had learned in two weeks every curse word in French. I knew every bad word in French. So after nine months, I got, I was on a train at one o'clock in the morning going home. And I was going through a very bad part of Brooklyn, and a guy tried to mug me. And he ended up, we got into an altercation. I got stabbed through the hand. I ended up getting arrested. And I was in jail for two weeks. And I thought I lost my job. I didn't care about the jail. The thought that after I had spent so much time to get this job in the Caraval, that I was going to lose it. I was beside myself. After two weeks, they let, they let me out of jail. I went right to the Caraval, 
And the old chef, the chef that had had the heart attack was there. And he had never spoke nice to me. And he saw the desperation in my eyes. He also saw my hand was all wrapped up. And he said to me, it's okay, go back to work. Mm -hmm. And the next day I said to him, you know, you always said, I'm no good because I'm not French. Well, I can't become French. But you also said, I'm no good because I didn't train in France. Why don't you send me to France? The next week I was on a plane going to Nice to work at the Hotel Negresco. And in those days, the Negresco, the chef, had been named by the Gomio magazine as the best young chef in France. His name was Jacques Maximin. And as tough, I thought, I heard stories about France and, well, the caravan was so tough. I said, how bad could it be? Oh boy, was I in for a shocker. Did I, it was, it was, it, I didn't love it. I would have ended up in a psychiatrist's bench or something. When the guy screamed at me, called me every curse word on the sun. I spent 14 months there. Then I went, before I went back to the U.S., I went to the foothills of the Pyrenees Mountains. And I worked for a small chef. His name was Michel Girard. And I will argue with anybody that he's not the greatest chef of the 20th century. And he was like a little wizard. He didn't scream. He was magical. And everything he did with his hands, he put together. He opened my eyes to the, to the possibilities what could be. I came back to New York. I mean, with, I mean, I was ready to conquer the world. I ended up becoming the chef of Le Caravelle when I was 25. Got great, review, great reviews, everything. And then one day, uh, a famous clothing designer named Pierre Cardin. I don't know if you view it. He passed away last year, unfortunately. He owned a restaurant called Maxime's in Paris. And he opened a version of it in New York. And in New York, it was a disaster. New Yorkers don't want uh, a, a duplicate. They want the original. And he had a parade of chefs that he brought from France. And one after another, they got murdered. I took the, he offered me a lot of money. I took the job and I got three stars. And the rest was, was my, my, my path was cleared. And I became celebrated in New York. I became... Then there was a famous wine producer in Napa Valley named Robert Mandavi. And Mandavi was looking to find the 13th best chef in America. And he was going to put, put the 13 on, on TV. And I was the first one he picked. So he gave me my, I got my own show on PBS. And then I did a second year show on PBS. And then there was a young fledgling uh, TV network called TV Food Network in New York. And they asked me to start doing guest spots on it. And I did. And one day, and I was a little bit nuts on TV. I was over the top, a very flamboyant. And, uh, bah, 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 bah. and one day, the uh, director of programming calls me into her office and says to me, uh, you want to be, you want your own show? What is this, a gag? I was looking behind me. Maybe it was a joke or something. Of course I want my own show. Ruggiero to go was born. I became the second highest rated show on the network and the sky's the limit after that. And so here I am. I wrote an Italian American cookbook now. <laughs> it's been an adventure. It's been an adventure. But I love every moment of it. That's unbelievable. David, you are so strong because this is not for 
everybody. God, it's the Brooklyn in me. The guys that grow up in Brooklyn, it's a different. That's why the Brooklyn has become. People come from all over the country, all over the world to visit New York. Everybody wants to come to Brooklyn to see what it's like. And the Brooklyn's become, you know, in New York, there's many people live in Manhattan, the rich people, they live in Brooklyn now. It's become a, it's got, it's had its uh, renaissance. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful place. And, uh, and that's, the, that's the reasoning. Another reason I wrote about the cookbook is to tell people the colorful part of Brooklyn. There was a lot of, you know, very colorful growing up. And uh, it was a lot of ups and downs, but that's what made you strong. Wow, this is a story of resilience. You really should keep writing. And I know you already wrote four books. And I, as I can see, this book is not only a cookbook, but it's also a memoir. Can you tell us about it? Yes, I mean, it's really a, it's a, first I wrote it, first in my mind was it was a love letter like a love letter to the people of Brooklyn, the, the, the people that are the survivors of Brooklyn, particularly the Italian-Americans, since I'm Italian, I address it towards the Italian-Americans, and uh, because they made me. These people helped to make me, um, you know. But it's really, it's, I, my next book coming out is the full memoir. I tell the whole story. But this is, gives you a little taste of what it was, because growing up, Unfortunately, you know, my father was, was a gangster. And, uh, you know, it was not, uh, he was a notorious gangster. And uh, I went on for a while when I was a kid, I took the wrong path. I followed in his footsteps. And thank God, at one point, you know, what happened was at one point when I was 17, I was engaged to a girl. And uh, guys around my father killed her, murdered her. And that's when I realized that you know, I was really, either I was going to kill them or they were going to kill me. And uh, I had to, uh, that's when I turned to cooking and cooking saved my life. It mm. was, uh, and you're very, let me tell you something else. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners can, can relate to this. The worst thing in the world is to have a job that you don't love. That you get up in the morning, go, oh my God, I gotta go to work. To, you put the alarm clock, I wanna sleep a half hour later, because I, I, I hate my job. I was so lucky that I was, I found a passion. It wasn't even a job, it was a passion. That I got up in the morning, I skipped the work. As hard as the kitchen was, the more they screamed at me, the more they insulted me, whatever, cuts on my hands or whatever, burns. I could care less. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I wanted, when I became chef, the first customer to the lake, because let me tell you something, kitchens, when that last customer shows up a minute after you're closed, you throw the food like, yeah, you want to go home. Not me. I wanted to show that from the first to the last customer how good I could be to prove to the world. I felt I needed to prove to everybody because I never felt I was, I, because I wasn't French, I was told, I felt I needed to prove to the world how good I was. So from the first customer to that last customer, I put my heart and soul into the cooking. And thank God I was recognized for it. And here I am, 
Wow, David, you are such an inspiration, really, really. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, and um, I checked your book and it is full of beautiful photos of dishes and they all seem so hearty and delicious. So my question for you is um, what do you expect your readers get from your book? I think that the book is more than just a collection of recipes. I try to give you the, the our mindset, the, the Italians in Brooklyn, what I wrote about is like a home style cooking. This is not high end. This is not haute cuisine. This is not the restaurant style cooking. This is what John down the street or Joe around the corner cooked every day. And what I want you to do, I don't expect you to pick it up and cook 20 recipes. Because nobody does that. I want you to feel the passion that the Italians, that my grandmother, because I would, this, a lot of this is my grandmother's cooking, the quiet passion she had for what she did. Because in her own way, she cooked the way I did. She never threw anything together. She always was, it was a lot of long cookings and it was a lot of caressing. And they grew in the backyard. I write about this in the book. We didn't have a lot of land. We had a little plot of dirt. What they grew out of that little plot of dirt, they grew enough vegetable that they had to preserve it for the winter. The tomatoes and the eggplants and the peppers and the different dishes that they cook to preserve. I want you to come away as the reader with maybe you pick out a recipe you like, but more importantly, you pick up the passion and the flair, what it is that we did in our hallway. Same way Spanish people have their passion, Portuguese people have their passion and their flair. And of course the French, our passion on our flair. We cooked what was in season. We didn't cook stuff that was, you know, we didn't cook tomatoes, fresh tomatoes in the middle of January in New York because they were, they were green. We cooked what was in season. And I try to, to show you that and transform it. Maybe you don't cook one of my recipes, but you take your own recipe and you conform it to these kind of principles. Only the best. Buy the best. Take your time and put your love into the dish. And it makes a big difference. It really makes a big difference. It makes it makes for sure, David. And also, I read that you cooked for five American presidents. Yes, yes. I cooked. Well, at the time, the fifth one, Donald Trump, wasn't the president yet. So I, so I, I say I cooked for five. He wasn't the president yet. Okay. But I cooked for one. I cooked for four presidents and one sitting president. And when I first became chef, it was memorable, so memorable. I cooked, uh, at the time, the president of Philippines had been assassinated and his wife, uh, Kino, had become the president of the Philippines. And she flew to New York and she wanted to meet, meet with Ronald Reagan. And they, the White House called La Caravel, where I was the chef, and asked to close the restaurant for lunch. And the owner of La Caravel was famous. Uh, John, Joe Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's father had given the Caravelle the money to start. So the kid, this was like an outpost for the Kennedys. They didn't, so the owner didn't care. They're, I'm not closing the restaurant. I don't close the restaurant for nobody. I'll give you a section. 
so Reagan and then Rakino were up there and I cooked. And uh, he came down to the kitchen. He was bigger than life. And he shook my hand and he, he was very complimentary that an American in a, in a French establishment like this and that. And about two weeks later, I got a card from the White House. Now you get cards like that and someone just signs them and this and that. But it was him because he remembered exactly what he ate, what he said to me in the kitchen. I have that, that card from Ronald Reagan. That really was a, a, a very special time in my life uh, to actually meet because, I mean, to me, he was, uh, not to get political here, but I just loved him. And I was bigger than life. And I cooked. I tell you, another one I cooked for, it wasn't the president at the time, he was out of office, but a Francophile was Richard Nixon. I cooked for Richard Nixon many, many times, spoke French beautifully, knew French wines like nobody's business, and really was a, a Francophile when it came to the cuisine. He knew what he loved, and he looked very often. I cooked for him, and then I cooked for Carter, Ford, and then Trump. So uh, it was it was a special time, very special time for me. As he, I was young, I was 25, 26 years old at the time. So it opened my eyes. And you know, I, one thing, as a kid from Brooklyn, I would have never, never in a million years been in the company of such great people. It was the cooking that it's such a great profession. It's not for everybody. There's no days off, there's no holidays. You, the, the, the conditions are terrible. But if you can live, you find your passion within it. For all your young listeners, it is a, it opens door, it opened doors for me. I was on TV. Whoever thought that me, I would have been on television. My own shows. Come on. Never would have happened a million years. In the company of US presidents, I cook for, 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 for kings and queens of the world and, who ever thought this would happen to me? So for all you young listeners, it's something to think about. College ain't for everybody. Maybe you turn to the kitchen and uh, Spain has some wonderful, great, great, great restaurants. Unbelievable restaurants. Unbelievable. But also you said something about Portuguese people. Portuguese food is also fantastic. They have codfish. And there are so many... It's an, adventure. it's an adventure to travel through Europe, even to travel through one country, because every country, their, their cuisine and their culture and their traditions are not uniform through the entire country. Different parts of each country have different traditions, different customs and different cuisine. It is an adventure. I tell every American that hasn't gone to Europe, what are you waiting for? I mean, it's, this is the, the you, you, you can't die as an American and not have traveled to Europe and seen what culture there is there. I mean, it's not just Europe, it's all over the world, but I, I just adore Europe. I really adore it. David, where can we find you? Go to davidruggerio.com, D-A-V-I-D-R-U-G-G-E-R-I-O.com, and it'll lead you to all the different social media stuff, and it'll lead you to Ruggerio Books, where I give these giveaways for books and all kinds of stuff and upcoming events and so forth. And uh, now that, thank God, COVID it seems to be on its uh, last legs, we're about to st stomp it out. There'll be more events out beyond 
virtual reality. So yeah, davidrogerio.com. And I give recipes and stuff like that. I, I think you'll find very useful information there. Wonderful. I am subscribing now to your <laughs> website. Thank you so much. And, yes. And David, when I go to New York, I will eat in your restaurant. Are you invite to my house. I live on the water, on the ocean. You come to the ocean and I have an oven in the backyard, a big brick oven. I'll cook for you like nobody's business. Forget <laughs> about it. Forget about restaurants. Fair. I'll show you the real home cooking. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think I need to buy the tickets to New York right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that would be my pleasure. So, David, you are absolutely amazing. Your story, your life, your resilience, and you deserve everything you have. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.